are back to open up this episode of Monster Kid Radio with their song, Gaza Surf. It appears on their album, Enjoy the Hip, Slick, Ultraviolent, and Super Sexy Surf Sound of the Beerits Boys. It appears on this episode of Monster Kid Radio with their permission. This is the podcast devoted to the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear. I am your host, writer, producer, Derek M. Cook, and I want to welcome you to episode number 102 of this podcast. Now, a couple of days ago, in episode 101, I had Scott Morris on the show, the podcast legend, the man behind the Disney Indiana podcast, as well as my co-host over at 1951 Down Place. Well, he was here to talk about the giant Gila monster. It's one of his favorite classic B-movies, classic monster movies, and it quickly became one of mine as well. The conversation could not be contained within one episode, so we're going to continue that discussion about that film in episode 102 right here. Now, not only are we going to keep talking about the giant Gila monster, we're also going to talk about the 2012 remake of the film, Gila, directed by Jim Wynorski. Now, Scott has met Jim Wynorski, sort of. He also met the producer of the film, and he's going to tell you a little bit about his experiences with the producer of the film, the B-Movie Celebration, some world premieres that he's been to. It's a good conversation. I'm looking forward to sharing that with you guys and gals out there in Monster Kid Radio Land. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of MKR. Now, before we get to that, I want to go over some of the basics. We go over this every time here on Monster Kid Radio. Over at monsterkidradio.net, you're going to find everything you need to know about Monster Kid Radio, including links to our Live 365 channel, our YouTube page, our Flickr album, our Facebook group, where you can join the group and get involved in conversations with various Monster Kid Radio listeners between episodes. We also have a Monster Kid Radio Facebook page that you can like. If you are a Facebook user, please give us a like. We're trying to get as many likes as possible. The like is the currency of Facebook. The more likes we have, well, the better our metrics do or something. I don't know how that works. But if you're a user of Facebook, like us over there, join the group. We'll chat it up between episodes. Chat it up about the giant Gila monster, Gila, or anything else we've talked about here on the show. If you want to talk to me or the podcast about anything that we've talked about here on the show, well, we have some ways you can do that, and we'll go over our contact information at the end of this episode. Also, I want to point out, and I've mentioned this in the past, there's a section on our website that says Bands and Songs. Click on that, and you're going to find links to every piece of music that's appeared on Monster Kid Radio over the past 100-something episodes. Every song appears with the band's permission. So if you like what you hear... Follow the link over in the Bands and Songs section of our website, buy the album, download the MP3s, and let them know that Monster Kid Radio sent you. In addition to talking about the giant Gila monster and Gila, well, there's a special announcement that we're going to make at the end of our discussion, and it's a good one. It's a big one. And you know what? I'm tired of keeping you guys and gals in suspense, so why don't we go ahead and get to that discussion with Scott Morris about the giant Gila monster and Gila right after this. There was a mushroom, sad little mushroom. There was a meadow, ready to cry. There was a sparrow, gray little sparrow. There was an eagle, silent and high. And the Lord said, let children laugh. The Lord said, laugh. Children laugh. The Lord said, laugh. Children laugh, the Lord said laugh, laugh, laugh. 
Hey, listeners, this is Joe Stuber. If you're a fan of Indiana Jones, you might have heard the indie comic book segment I co-host with Keith Voss over on the IndieCast. Well, if you like those segments, you'll want to check out a brand new podcast I'm hosting and producing called Comic Book Central. The mission of Comic Book Central is to showcase and celebrate how our favorite four-color adventures are represented in the media. That's right. When a comic book is brought to life, Comic Book Central is there. You'll hear from some of your favorite actors, directors, producers, and writers. And everyone is at a hand in contributing to the massive explosion of comic book projects we're seeing on Broadway, television, video games, and film today. Hey, how'd you like a preview? Well, here it is. Take a listen. The world of podcasting has become super. It's Comic Book Central, the podcast devoted exclusively to interviews with the creative talents that have brought comics to life. Greetings, true believers. This is Stan Lee. When do you think the Academy is going to wise up and create a special Oscar category for best cameo? I don't know. They're just asleep on their feet. Maybe your show, maybe this interview will be the turning point. I'm Kenneth Johnson, the creator of the Incredible Hulk television series. Was there ever thought to have the Hulk speak on the show? No, Hulk not speak. Hulk talk is dumb. Hulk smash. Good, good. <laughs> fire bad. Yeah, fire bad. Ah, ah. She is Aaron Gray. Aaron, welcome to the show. I ended up being a contract player making, I think it was $600 a week. Steele was doing great. He was making the big bucks. And then... You got the posters, though. You got <laughs> yes. the posters. Come I on. look better in white spandex. What can I say? <laughs> Hi, this is Rebecca Staub, the invisible woman from the original Fantastic Four movie. I was familiar with The Fantastic Four. So, you know, I went and got a couple of the comic books and talked to people in the comic book store. Let me get this right. Going for the role of Sue Storm, you go into a comic comic book store and start talking to the guys there yeah <laughs> could you please tell me how that went he is an actor former professional boxer and a kryptonian monolith let's welcome to the show jack o'halloran what's tougher uh, going toe-to-toe with george foreman or with a hollywood executive <laughs> that's a good question you know hollywood executives aren't that difficult actually do you dress in all black when you go after him i wear my krypton suit <laughs> <laughs> Hi, this is Adrienne Barbeau, Catwoman from Batman the Animated Series, and you're listening to Comic Book Central. Perfect. I have an obsession with the 70s game show Match Game. We have to remember Richard Dawson. Ever hit on you? I don't think so. I did the pilot for the gong show, and <laughs> Chuck Barris, he asked me out a couple of times. <laughs> Well, hi, guys. I'm Ilya Salkin, the originator of Superman the Movie. Interesting casting note when we're talking about Clark and Lois, Lyle Wagner and Linda Carter. Absolutely. Boy, you did your homework, man. Linda Carter comes to see me. I was at the Beverly Hills Hotel pool. Wonder Woman. My mouth falls on the floor. It's Captain Marvel himself, Jackson Bostwick. Great costume, by the way. Great costume. Oh, fantastic. Do you have it? Yeah, I have one. When was the last time you were in? In it. Well, actually, I, I wear it around the house. The dogs like it. And uh, <laughs> when I'm barbecued, it'll... Hey, Captain Marvel, yeah. flip me a burger. Yeah. Shazam! Hey, this is Michael Rosenbaum. Lex Luthor from Smallville. Uh, make sure you listen to this guy's show. He sounds like a good guy. People should listen to you, Joe. You are listening to Comic Book... Comic Book... Comic Book Central. Where comic books come to life. Excelsior! Well, as you can tell, my guests and I have a lot of fun talking about their comic book theme projects. But I can say we also touch on some serious topics as well. 
It's fascinating to get the stories behind the stories with some of these folks. Uh, these interviews are pretty revealing, to say the least. It's Comic Book Central. Check it out online at comicbookcentral.net, on Facebook at Comic Book Central Network, Twitter at Comic Book CTRL, and make sure you subscribe to it on iTunes. It's Comic Book Central, where comic books come to life. talk about MST3K, can we talk about where this movie has turned up and what's happened to it since then? Since the movie first came out in 19... Actually, it didn't get released until like the early 60s, I believe. So it, it plays the drive-in circuit with The Killer Shrews as a double feature, and then went to wherever movies went during the 50s and 60s before the advent of home video, before things started being shown on TV. Starts showing up on horror-hosted programming, and you saw it on MST3K. Yep. In uh, season four, uh, it showed up there... One thing I noticed while watching it uh, this time, because it had been a while since I'd watched it straight, uh, as we say, and I don't remember MST3K making any edits to the film. I think it, they pretty much showed the whole thing. You know, normally, they will cut down uh, an episode to bring in their host segments or if they're going to show a short or if they're going to have a, a longer intro or whatever, but you know, this film, I think it clocks in like it's 74 minutes, something like yeah, that. Yeah, it doesn't run too long. So I can imagine you wouldn't need to do – you might even have to pad an episode of MST3K to make it fit two hours. Well, and commercials. And the commercials because it was a, a two-hour show. You've got to have between 90 and 95 minutes of content, the rest being commercials. Now, was this uh, Mike era or Joel era? This was Joel. Okay, it was still Joel. But it turned up on Mystery Science Theater. Is that the first time you saw it? it was on MST three? Well, no, you said oh, you no. saw it as a kid on. I saw Radiation it as a kid, TV. or you know, whatever you know, Channel Four Sunday afternoon. But no, I'd seen it that way long before I saw it on Mystery Science Theater. There's several, like you said, I'm a big MST three K fan, but there's several films that I saw you know on Channel Four growing up that eventually made its way to MST three K, and this was one of them. How much time passed between the original viewing, the last time you saw the movie straight, and then you saw it on MST three K? Do you remember? Probably twenty twenty five years. Oh wow! Because I was probably in middle school when I saw it on channel four and then movies there you know you couldn't go down to the video store you couldn't go online to watch them so they just kind of went into stasis for a while for lack of a better term and then i didn't get starting watch mst3k until it was after tracy and i were married because i didn't have comedy central uh, on my cable until really late and then i quickly devoured because they were playing them all the time so I didn't even see season four when season four was first aired. I, oh, wow. Because I, I don't think I had Comedy Central until they were well into the sixth season or the fifth season. But then they would play old episodes of MST3K overnight Yeah. as, as filler. My VCR stayed up many nights uh, recording them <laughs> for me. <laughs> well, and then they also took some of the episodes and started chopping them in half and run them in, running them as part of 
I forget what they called it, but they had Mike dressed up. The MST3K Hour. So I'm sure you had a chance to see this more than once, and I'm sure you've got it in your DVD collection now. Oh, yeah, definitely. It's been released at least once on disc. It's also been hosted by a number of other horror hosts. You know, I mentioned Dr. Gaindreen at the first part of this discussion where he talked about how he edited it down to a half-hour episode of his show. I'd like to see that. I would be curious to see it. That seems like a bit much to me, but I'd be curious to see it. You know, Sven Woolley's covered it. Elvira's covered it. I think it might have even been released on VHS hosted by Elvira, but I'm not 100% sure. It's been cut into other compilations, you know, top 50 movie this, worst 50 movie that. And then in 2012, the movie gets remade as Gila from director Jim Wynorski. I saw something. It was big, huge. It had a tail. Like a, a lizard, almost the size of a, a, a dinosaur. Hey, there's something on the track up there. He's like the rest of those hot rodders. Watch this. No, don't! Obsessed with speed, loud music, and living lives with no direction or purpose. about this remake before I did. I found out about this remake before it was remade. Yeah. Actually, <laughs> it was uh, directed by Jim Wynorski and also uh, produced by Bill Dever. Now, how I know those names, I used to go every year to Franklin, Indiana to see the B-movie celebration that was basically put on by Bill Dever. You know, we went to a couple years and then Jim Wynorski started to show up there and bringing some of his movies. Uh, actually, he was there the first year we were there. He actually has a house now in Franklin, Indiana, and that's where Bill Dever is located as well. He's got his own little film studio. Gila is actually filmed in Franklin, Indiana. Should we mention who Jim Wynorski is for anybody who doesn't know? He's a director. He's a director. He's a... Uh, he's <laughs> I a like di- how we both sedate. <laughs> oh, he's a director. He's a, <laughs> he's a, uh, a, a disciple of the Corman School of uh, Filmmaking. <laughs> that's a nice way to put it. <laughs> Probably best known for Chopping Mall from 1986, right? which is a film that I enjoy quite a bit. It is cheesy, but it is a lot of fun. One of his very first films. He also did The Return of Swamp Thing. (laughs) One thing I was doing while I was uh, doing a little review of Wynorski's career before this talk with you, and I was going through the films that he's done. I've realized that I have actually been to three separate Jim Wynorski world premieres. All through the B-movie celebration? All through the B-movie celebration. What are the three movies? 
the first one, the first year we went, we went, <laughs> it was actually shown <laughs> in what was called the B-Movie Celebration Secret Theater. It wasn't shown at the traditional art craft theater because the art craft only plays quote unquote family friendly and they wouldn't go for this type of film. So there was like, you know, a half a dozen, a dozen of us, including Lloyd Kaufman there <laughs> to see cleavage field. I'm trying to imagine what the room is like. And I'm assuming Winorski was there as well, right? Winorski was there as well. Yes. So Winorski, Disney, Indiana, <laughs> Kaufman watching cleavage field. I th- I'm trying to remember wow. the male to female ratio of people in the room. <laughs> well, your wife was there. Tracy was there, right? Tracy was there, and I think there was two women with Lloyd Kaufman. That makes sense. Uh, Lloyd actually signed uh, Tracy's uh, program. <laughs> but I, I think it was rest of it was male when we saw Cleavage Field. Now, Cleavage Field, the title is probably what Minorsky is now most known for, those types of movies. Cleavage Field, The Bear Wench Project, things like that. Yeah, it's basically a Skinamax, Cinemax version of Cloverfield. The fact that I saw it as a world premiere, it's, it was the very first actual, you know, I'm thinking, you know, Hollywood world premiere, big type thing. The first when we saw that was going to happen and, you know, I don't know what I was thinking, you know, spotlights and limos and I don't know. And then we go to this, the secret theater, which is in uh, Bill Devers production studio. And it's just, you know. <laughs> A curtain up on the wall and, and folding chairs. <laughs> no red carpet, no, no red big ca- lights. <laughs> but it was fun. It was The whole evening was just a lot of fun, and I, I'm glad I did it. I don't know if I'd say I'm proud of it, but I'm glad I did it. I had a lot of fun. Nice. And uh, it was a, a good time. Now, the other two films that I saw was actually in the art craft proper. Uh, the first one was a film in 2010 that uh, Winorski and Bill Dever worked together. It was the first one they filmed there in Franklin, Indiana. It's called Monster Cruise. It's a, basically a story about a monster that lives in the lake. And uh, there's a guy that's trying to buy up all the property uh, around the town. He's the bad guy. And there's a woman that owns a bait shop that she got when her father passed away that's floundering it's not making any money and there's a a loser in town that uh, runs a video store and the two of them team up to fight against this evil land baron and there's a mermaid and other hijinks ensue it's it's a very family-friendly film and i actually enjoyed it quite a bit and that was actually more of what i would consider closer to a hollywood premiere it was at the art craft it was packed because I think everybody in there was either in the film or knew somebody that was in the film or on the crew. So that was a lot of fun. The other one that I saw is a film called Camel Spiders that was made for the (laughs) Sci-Fi Channel. (laughs) And maybe a month or so before it actually premiered on the Sci-Fi Channel, it had its premiere there at the Art Craft. It's a story of Iraqi soldiers returning to the U.S., while they're in Iraq, a very mutated camel spider attacks one of the soldiers who's killed and the, lays eggs inside him and his body's returned and then it hatches all these spiders, which are, you know, the size of a, of a bear <laughs> spiders <laughs> and they multiply like crazy and take over a small town. It's really where part of it is filmed in Franklin and part of it is filmed in the American Southwest somewhere. <laughs> 
All right. Which <laughs> Midwest Indiana and the Southwest of the United States don't look anything alike. This this is true. I was talking to Bill Dever. Actually, I think it was after Monster Cruise. And he was telling me that he and Wynorski were thinking about uh, doing a remake of the giant Gila monster. And I had told him that I was a big fan of the film, had seen it a few times. And in the course of the conversation, Bill found out that I had a classic car. And I don't remember how that actually came up. I've got a, a 66 Corvair. But he didn't know what it was. And he was asking you know, what kind of car I had because they were looking for classic cars. They were filming a, you know, a fifties period piece. And unfortunately my car was too new for it. So that close, man. So close. <laughs> that close. Yes. I could have had my car in this film. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I would have demanded to be in the, you know, as, a, as an extra or something in the background, you know, maybe you could show up at the hop scene. He had told me that, you know, maybe we could work something out that I could come down and, but it never materialized. Unfortunately, I, I think it would have been fun just to, to see a, a movie being made. Sure. But yeah, it was actually filmed in Franklin, Indiana. If you uh, get a chance to see Gila, there's a, a scene from outside the town and you actually get to see the art craft theater where I get to go. And it's my classic movie theater where I get to see these old films. So it's really cool to see the art craft there on the screen. And there's uh, several other buildings, including the courthouses from Franklin is seen, which uh, for those that are geographically challenged and don't know where Franklin, Indiana is, it is roughly 20 miles south of Indianapolis. And how far away is that from Disney, Indiana? Uh, it's about a hour and 40 minute okay. drive okay. from my house. <laughs> <laughs> so Gila directed by Wynorski who loves these old movies. In fact, this is not the first time he's tried to remake or he has remade a classic monster movie. You mentioned it. Roger Corman in terms of his approach. Well, he did remake the wasp woman, which was a Corman production in 1995, which I've not seen, but from what I understand, it's a much more sincere effort than, what Gila ended up being, despite the fact that the Wasp Woman does have Fred Olin Ray in it. Gila, or the giant Gila monster, was something that Wynorski talked about in interviews as being a movie that really stuck with him. He really loved this movie, and he's been wanting to remake this movie for a very long time. And I guess things just kind of worked out to where he and Bill Dever could make it happen. It's obviously, when you watch the film, it was made by somebody who did love the original. That does come through. What I appreciated about this remake... And you mentioned the classic cars. It's not an updated version of the story. It really is a movie set in the 50s, just a modern filmmaking approach sort of to telling a 50s monster movie, which I love. I mean, listeners of Monster Kid Radio know that I absolutely love what Christopher R. Mim does, you know, making these movies in the style of the 50s. And that's what Gila on its surface is trying to do is be a 50s style movie. I like that approach. I also like that it's pretty close to the original story, at least at the very beginning. The setup is almost exactly the same. It starts with the two teenagers out in their car, out necking at the spot. Well, I want to go to the spot. Well, this is the spot, you know. It's a very close setup. In the overall arching story, there is some big differences, but it's faithful to the story overall. Big differences. What are some of the big differences? Well, the biggest difference is the origin of the creature. The radiation, yeah. Yes. Well, it's or the radiation, toxic whatever. waste. Yeah. What? Yeah. In this one, there's a whole scene where the Gila monster is actually mutated because there's two guys that are dumping toxic waste in a 
cave that's near a gravel pit. And the Gila monster's been affected, but there's also been crickets that have been affected because we see crickets that are the size of chicken. <laughs> it's as big as a chicken. They could eat a chicken. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the Gila monster isn't a freak of nature. They actually say that it's you know being affected by this dumping, illegal dumping that's going on. Not to speak poorly of the cast, but I did find the cast of the original to be a little bit more fun. The cast in Gila, they're trying, and, and they are kind of having fun with it. But Terrence Knox, for example, as the sheriff, I really liked the other sheriff better. You know, I oh, liked the original yeah, Chase I agree. better. They're just more sincere. Although, it's clear that the actors and actresses in Gila are just having a good time with Jim Wynorski on this low budget. Uh, it was a $900,000 budget production. Yeah, there was actually one actor that I recognized. Oh, who? The actor that plays the mayor, Mayor Wheeler, Gerald Paulus. I'm not sure Powell's, exactly how to pronounce yeah. his Powell's. He's, uh, when I mentioned earlier, Monster Cruise. Yeah. He's the evil landowner in Monster Cruise. So I had oh, recognized okay. him. Okay. He was also in Camel Spiders. Yes, but I didn't recognize him. In, I don't remember where he was in Camel Spiders. Well, I think the biggest name, the most immediately recognizable person in Gila would be Kelly Maroney, right? From Night of the Comet. Yeah, the cheerleader from Night of the Comet, the younger sister. Who appeared in Wynorski's Chopping Mall. Yes. How she ended up in Gila outside of having a friendship with Wynorski, I, I don't know, man. There was no – she was a, de- a deputy, and there was no deputy in the original. So they created this character out of whole cloth for her. And she's not in it all that much. She's probably the person who, because of her agent and various whatevers, cost the most to put in the movie. What little name recognition, especially over everybody else exactly. in this film. Yeah. She plays Deputy Wilma. Like I said, there was no deputy in the original, so they had to create this character. There are some things happening with her. Very atypical 50s, though. I mean, to have a woman deputy in a 1950s movie anyway seemed a little out of place, at least in terms yes. of the era. I mean, you might see a woman working in a police station in a 1950s movie, but she's the one who answers the phone and makes a coffee. Yeah. She's the dispatcher. Right. So you get her, and she is flirting with Chase a little bit, and in, in a very uncomfortable jail baby kind of scene. Makes yeah, that that comes scene was a little, little bit. That's yeah, I like action photography. <laughs> <laughs> no, I got it. Oh yeah, no, what? no, no. <laughs> that was a little awkward, <laughs> you know. And really, we talked about how Winorski is probably known for now, for better or worse, the Bear Wench Project, Cleavage Field. This movie is not that. No. Even though her character is trying to come on to Chase pretty strongly, and it's pretty obvious. And there's some other comments about checking out women's rears and things like that. I'm not a big fan of her derriere, I think somebody says at one point. You don't see it. That's a nice top. Yeah. Yours is too, what what there is of it. (laughs) Exactly. There's no nudity. There's very little blood. This seemed to take the approach of the, the original film took. You know, try to make it as accessible as possible to a, as wide an audience as possible. Another big difference is you actually see the kills here. True. That, that you don't see in the original. The very CG kills. <laughs> so, yeah, no, no models or anything like that in this one. This one's a giant CG Gila monster. And, and how in the world he doesn't choke to death because he swallows people whole, I'll never know. <laughs> they do give this Gila monster a few other – I mean, he's using his tongue to like a toad – Flick out, yes. grab his victims, and bring him back in, and then cough up the pieces he doesn't need later. Uh, and the pitchfork. <laughs> the pitchfork, for example, which, okay, how that didn't tear you up from the inside, I don't know, but okay. There's some goo. Oh, the uh, lime jello. Yeah. 
as far as other actors go, there was somebody in here who caught my attention that I've recognized from before, and that would be our lead. Brian Gross played Chase. Now, do you know Brian Gross? Not personally, no. <laughs> Have you ever seen him before in anything? No, but I probably can guess where you're, um, you're coming from. Did you look it up? Yes, I did. <laughs> Darn it. I wanted to get you a surprise. I wanted to get an honest surprise from you. So he plays Kirk in the new Star Trek New Voyages Phase 2 fan series. Now, unfortunately, only one short featuring him as Kirk in the Star Trek fan series has been released. There was a full episode produced with him that was supposed to come out around Valentine's Day. It's still not been released yet. Don't know what's going on there. Uh, he took over the role from Star Trek New Voyages creator James Cauley, who I thought was a pretty decent Kirk, actually. So I haven't really had a chance to see him as Kirk in this series too much outside of the short. But yeah, he's Kirk, man. Yep. He's done a lot of television. I don't care. He's Kirk. <laughs> I mean, he showed up on episodes of CSI and he was also, to go to my little bit of a Disney connection, uh, he did a voice in Star Wars The Old Republic. Yeah. But I'm not familiar with him at all. Uh, I did not know he was Kirk until... You know, after I watched the movie, I went to his IMDb page and saw that. So I figured, I knew you watched that. So I figured uh, you'd be making a comment on that yeah. one. Yeah, and you know, he's done some other Wynorski films. He was in the Bone Eater, that sort of thing. So, you know, he might be part of Wynorski's little troop. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see what he can do as Kirk. And as I'm watching Gila, there are a few moments where he has a dramatic pause, <laughs> and I'm wondering. Hmm. <laughs> Is, is that something kind of creeping in that uh, maybe belonged in a different production? You know? <laughs> well, one thing I wanted to ask you is what did you think of the character of Waco Bob and his girlfriend? Now, this seemed to be an addition, right? This, there's no yes. correlating character from the original film. He plays this character that early in their lives, he and Chase were friends. Waco Bob got into trouble. He ended up in juvie. Uh, he was sent away for three years. He's now come back. He's a rival hot rodder. He just has it out for Chase, and it's never really clear why. I don't know. I wasn't a big fan of like the fight scene. There's a fist fight that ends with <laughs> the sheriff doing something very irresponsible. Uh, <laughs> Malicious littering. Waco <laughs> Bob and his girlfriend shows up at the Compton's garage where Chase is working and a fist fight breaks out between the two of them. Waco Bob grabs a bottle and he's going to use it on Chase until the sheriff turns up and shoots the bottle out of his hand. Really? <laughs> I wasn't a huge fan of the character, the introduction of the character. I don't know where it came from. I honestly, I didn't like him in this film and I kind of wish he was cut. Yeah. Personally. Again, he's somebody else. The the actor who played Waco Bob, Jesse Jansen, was somebody else who'd worked with Wynorski in the past. So, again, it might have just been part of that. You know, he's part of Wynorski's troop, so we can get him cheap. Let's put him in the movie. I don't know. And Christina DeRosa was his girlfriend, played Carla, who does a lot of low-budget films. And, again, I don't know if they brought a lot to the film itself, you know? Although she was in Piranaconda, so there is that. Is that good? I, I, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> I don't know. I didn't think it was needed. I, I didn't either. You know, we are kind of forgetting somebody who did appear in the film that I think is worth mentioning. And that'd be Don Sullivan himself. He returns yes. for the remake. And good for him. I think 
Don Sullivan's involvement in this film illustrates mostly how much fun and fondness Wynorski and company had for the source material by bringing the original chase back to play a role in the film, I think. It's classy. It's a class act thing to do. Don Sullivan, by appearing in the film, kind of gives his unspoken consent, you know, to support the movie. And they actually give him, yeah, it's it's a cameo. I'll grant you that. But it's a meaty cameo. It's not like, you know, a lot of times if you see a movie like this and they bring back an original actor for in a remake, you see him sitting on a park bench or you see him just in a, a real quick shot. He's a lizard expert from the local college that yeah. the sheriff uh, talks to. I was impressed that Wynorski went to that level with this actor. I thought that was cool. I thought that was really cool. I mean, and you know, you were talking about bringing back the originals. You know, the new Godzilla, Akira Takarada, was supposed to be in the new Godzilla film, and even his role was cut. He's the original Godzilla actor. You know, he was supposed to be in the movie. They cut him out. No, nope, they put Don Sullivan in Gila, you know, front and center when it comes to that scene. You know, he's the one that figures things out and passes the important information on to the sheriff to help propel the story and help them figure out what's going on. So I liked that. It was nice to see him. Of the major changes that we talked, uh, we talked a little bit about the the origin change for the the monster. One of the changes I really liked and I think would have fit in with the original movie is at the end when the sheriff offers his deputy job to Chase. Yeah, that was really cool, and I think that would have fit in with the original movie. I agree with you one hundred percent. I agree with you. That was a nice addition. Yeah. Now, what they could have left out was the Mushroom Song, because Brian Gross does sing it. He almost had to, though. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, I would have just played it on the radio, or I would have put it over the end credits scene. You know, I wouldn't have necessarily had Brian Gross bust out the guitar and start singing. What I liked about it, now, Brian Gross, if you're listening, I'm sorry, but you don't have the same singing chops as uh, Don Sullivan does he's no don sullivan he's no don sullivan but the fact that i think they realize that because he just sings like the first couple of lines and then the whole crew starts singing with him <laughs> now when you were watching it they cut to the shot of you know the group of the hot rodders or whatever behind him while he's singing and there's one guy on the left who keeps looking off camera like you want me to keep going okay and yeah. he keeps singing, <laughs> and he looks at the camera, okay okay keep going keep going you know? <laughs> i mean even Gila itself is obviously a low-budget movie. I mean, I'm glad I watched it, but I don't know if I'm going to go back and watch it again anytime soon. I'll be watching The Giant Gila Monster quite a bit. I told you last night when we were chatting, this movie is now in my top 20 uh, favorite films of this type. It's always been a guilty pleasure, a pleasure of mine. I've just enjoyed this film. I really like you know, talking about Giant Gila Monster again. What sells it to me is the relationship between the sheriff and Chase. Exactly. I mean, I actually honestly got the feeling that the two actors were friends, that they actually respected each other outside. You know, when the camera was off, I, I felt that they actually acted like that together. You want to go grab a bite to eat? Yeah, sure. No problem. Yeah, I totally could see that. You need to ride to the set this you know, tomorrow? Yeah, I'll be by at eight. You know, yeah, I totally get that impression. That they, they could hang out off scene, off scene and off set and get along just fine. And it shows on the on the film. There's a palpable chemistry between the two. Really like it. And you're right. The moment where he offers him the deputy ship, that would have been perfect in the original film. As it stands, <laughs> in the original, he does deputize the mayor at one point. That, that doesn't go over well. 
Yes. Well, he he gives that up really quick, though. It's like, oh, yeah, I don't know if I really want this job. I'm sorry. Uh. I also do like, spoiler, Chase loses his car in the film. And there at the the end, the the sheriff says, don't worry, the railroad will buy you another one. Yeah. (laughs) I do like the finale. And, you know, this movie's what? How old? And it's public domain. And spoiler alert. Okay. The way the Gila monster is destroyed at the end of the giant Gila monster, a little bit different than what we saw in the remake. But since we're talking about the giant Gila monster, Chase loads the car up with nitroglycerin. Four canisters that look like paint cans with the letters XXX written across. And it's pretty obvious when the nitroglycerin is introduced to the story. This is where it's <laughs> it's Chekhov's gun. It's Chekhov's nitro. Can we, can we talk about that just for a second? Sure. Why in the world does a garage owner need nitroglycerin? You use the nitro to soup up your cars, man. Make it go faster, right? <laughs> that's that's nitrous oxide. I don't know. Because <laughs> there's a scene where, I mean, he's also the, the owner driving a gas truck later in the film. But he actually goes and picks up four canisters of nitroglycerin. And I don't know why. But yeah, as soon as it shows up, he's like, you know, that's coming in at the end of the film. That's what's going to take out the monster. Yeah. Now, we were talking about how the sheriff and Chase work together. Well, towards the end, Chase does take the initiative and does something the sheriff doesn't tell him to do. He loads up his car with the nitro and he's going to go after the Gila monster himself, even though everybody kind of told him not to. Well, he's also because his mom and sister are in the monster's path right at this point <laughs> and i love the reaction you know we were talking a second ago about how the railroad's gonna be glad to buy him a new one right before that you put four quarts of nitroglycerin in your car and drove across country yeah you know what could have happened yeah i lost my car no you <laughs> killed the gila monster man i mean that's so <laughs> yeah i lost my car i forgot about that <laughs> that was good though i liked that that the nitro now, in the remake, they do kind of explain why the owner of the garage has an arsenal. Yeah, he's basically a gun nut. <laughs> the commies are coming. Or Martians. <laughs> it doesn't matter. I'm ready for both. Yeah, it's, it's the fluoride. That's their. <laughs> but I don't know. Again, didn't really need it. I think the giant Gila monster is a perfect film without it. <laughs> well, Such a great film. He does take out the, the, the nitro is used in, this, in the exact same way at the end of the film. Mm-hmm. You know, Chase uh, throws his car with two uh, thermoses, and they did look like thermoses, of um, nitro on the front of the car. And I did like it. One thing that Tracy really liked is when the, the Gila monster in Gila blows up, there's a big, huge chunk of meat that falls right next to Chase's head. <laughs> Flaming. <laughs> yes. But, uh, of, of course, Chase doesn't lose his car there because uh, the mayor is going to buy him a new car. Because the in the course of Gila, the, uh, Chase does save the mayor's daughter. The Wheeler daughter actually survives this film as where she doesn't survive in the original. Right. Yeah. So even in that regard, Gila, the remake, is fairly family-friendly. It's not very time-friendly, meaning that time seems to flow very differently in that film. It's just scene after scene after scene. It's nighttime. No, it's daytime. You're in the same clothes. Doesn't matter. It's the next day. And we really skip over a lot of scenes like, (laughs) I'm going to take somebody to the hospital. I've been back from the hospital for three hours. What? I don't understand. Just weird (laughs) chronology. But yeah, the original film doesn't really suffer from that. It doesn't need to. It doesn't try to. It is what it is. Warts and all. I loved it. 
I'm so glad you brought it to the Monster Kid radio table, man. If you guys haven't seen the giant Gila monster, it's easy to get your hands on, and it's worth the effort. Yeah. Definitely check it out. Uh, if you want to see Gila and you're an Amazon Prime customer, it is streaming on Amazon Prime. If you see the Gila monster and you like it, check it out. It's, it's worth to watch it once just to see how Winorski updates the look and updates the story a little bit. I mean, it's not... Obviously, it's still a period piece, but there is some changes that he made. Some some good, some bad. Neither one of the CG monsters are that great. You've got either a regular-sized lizard on miniatures, or you've got a bad CGI monster. But I kind of enjoy the original monster better. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> kind of. But neither of them are great. I mean, it's clearly a CG creation in the remake and in the original it's just a Gila monster on a miniature set but there's still a sincerity to the original that i really like although the very last shot i believe was a rubber monster because when the car hits it and they, ex- they exploded it kind of reacts a little differently at least i hope it was a rubber monster at the time yeah i looked i didn't see uh, any disclaimer that say no giant Gila monsters were injured during the filming of this i think <laughs> they would blow up a giant Gila monster i, I don't no, think they would've. i hope not yeah <laughs> it, it does react like when the car hits it it kind of lifts up a little bit and its legs don't move. They feel very stiff. So I feel like it was a toy. At least that's what I'm going to tell myself. It was definitely a, a model car that hit it, though. Oh, sure. Lots of model cars, which were all very cool. Yeah, I wanted some of those model cars personally. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, if you started getting your hands on a bunch of these model cars, the next step is we'd make our own mo- giant monster movie. You know that, right? <laughs> hey, I've already got a classic car if you want to make a 60s monster movie. Excellent. Sign me <laughs> up. Somebody call Jim Wynorski. <laughs> All right, well, we talked about this at the very beginning of the show a couple of days ago. Scott, what's your home podcast? My home podcast is Disney Indiana. It is a bi-weekly podcast that I do with my wife, Tracy. It can be found over at DisneyIndiana.com, and we talk about all things that the mouse has to offer. And as we mentioned in a couple of days, the new episode of 1951 Down Place comes out, which was a crossover episode with Disney Indiana. I believe by the time this recording goes out, the first part of that crossover would have happened where we talked about Dr. Sin. Casey and I from Down Place joined Scott and Tracy to talk about Dr. Sin, alias the Scarecrow. And then in Down Place, we're talking about Night Creatures, a.k.a. Captain Clegg. Which was a lot of fun. Uh, Both episodes were a lot of fun to put together. Well, we say that, but we haven't heard Casey's edit on Down Place yet. Well, the actual recording Ah, is a lot of fun. All right, so DisneyIndiana.com or follow the link over at MonsterKidRadio.net. Scott, thank you so much for being on the show. Of course, it's always a pleasure to have you here. And we're going to have you back again here soon to talk about, well, we've got a number of things that we've talked about that we want to talk about. So we'll have you back here to talk about some things soon. And I'm sure that uh, my wife, Tracy, might actually make an appearance here as well. Oh, your wife and I have been talking a lot. Trust me. Wait a minute. Oh. (laughs) Speaking of my wife and all of us together, are you going to make the announcement of what you're going to be doing here pretty soon? We're all moving in together. We're starting a cult. I thought it was a commune. Oh, okay. Well, okay. I mean, if we're all working together, yeah, I suppose it would mean. (laughs) (laughs) No, good point. Thank you for bringing it up. So I haven't been to a convention in a while. Uh, You know, I've done some things locally, but I haven't actually traveled to go to a horror convention in a while. I used to go to Horror Hound Weekend a lot, you know, or at least three or four times in a row. I love going to these out-of-town conventions because I get to meet people that I only know through podcasting, through the internet. Well, some mysterious benefactors have made it possible for me to go 
to a convention that I've been wanting to go to for years. And it's certainly relevant to what we do here at Monster Kid Radio. And I'm talking about Monster Bash. And because Monster Bash is kind of sort of near Scott and Tracy, I'm going to get to see them in person again. It's been a while. You're going to travel three-fourths of the country while Tracy and I are just going to drive about eight hours. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be very, very cool. I'm looking forward to the Monster Bash. I've never been ever. And you've never been as well, have you? This will be my first time, and it's the weekend of June 20th. Is that the correct date? Yeah, I was pulling it up right now over at monsterbashnews.com. June 20th through the 22nd in Mars, Pennsylvania. It's the Four Points Pittsburgh North Hotel. Now, yes, I'm going to get to see Derek, and uh, probably not for very long, because once we get there— I'm going to get arrested. He's <laughs> I'm going to get a restraining order. I'm going to probably have to bail him out. You better take pictures. <laughs> because who's who's going to be there? Oh, my 50s girlfriend will be there. We're talking about Julie Adams. I've never met Julie Adams, and my heart has been a pitter-pattering ever since we found out this was going to happen. Yeah. If there's anybody out there in Monster Kid Radio land that is going to be making it to the Monster Bash outside of Pittsburgh, get in touch with Derek and let him know. Yeah, well, you know, if you are a Facebook user, find us on Facebook, mention it over there that you're going to be there, or call in to the voicemail line, 503-479-5657. That's 503-4795-MKR. Or drop us an email at monsterkidradio at gmail.com. Now, of course, it's not just Scott and Tracy. It's not just me. It's not just Julie Adam. Who else is going to be there? Uh, Rico Browning. Yeah. Who I've met. Cool guy. So it'll be cool to see him there. And we've also got Joel from Mystery Science Theater. Which I have met, and he is a very nice guy. I'm looking forward to seeing him again. He's actually going to be putting on a talk where he's going to talk about uh, his life and um, what he did. So I'm looking forward to that. I know a number of podcast listeners out there, at least listeners who also listen to the B-Movie cast, also go to the Monster Bash. So I am looking forward to hopefully meeting as many listeners as possible, making some new friends, putting some new faces to some old voices. I'm stoked. I really cannot wait for Monster Batch. It's going to be so much fun. I've been trying not to think too much about it because it's just mm, watching the calendar, man. <laughs> I'm counting down the days. Less than three weeks. Not at helping. The, at the recording time. So Not helping. By the time you hear this, it might even be less. Or if you listen to it later, it might have already passed. Mars, Pennsylvania has no idea what's coming. It's going to be a blast. So if anybody's going to be going, let us know. We'd love to meet you. Oh, Derek, Tracy, and I will be there. Oh, Just great. You know. I'd love to meet you guys again. <laughs> Anything else we want to talk about before we let you go? No, I think I'm good. Excellent. Well, Thanks for uh, letting me come on to talk about uh, Giant Gila Monster and Gila. I kind of had to push you to do Gila. <laughs> this really was about the Giant Gila Monster, and we added Gila at the last minute. I'm glad we talked about it, though. It was a lot better than I'd feared it would be. Yeah. Yeah. But you don't need to see it. To, to get your Gila monster experience. The giant Gila monster does that just fine. And uh, the killer shrews was the other movie that the, the guys made, the production company made. You've seen that one. I have not. Is it better or worse? I don't like it as much. It also was on uh, mystery science theater 3000. The biggest thing I really remember from that is uh, James best, uh, AKA Roscoe P Coltrane is in it, <laughs> which is another public domain film. So easy to get your hands on that one as well. I believe both films have actually been colorized, I think. Don't quote me on that. 
but I believe both films have been colorized and released as a double feature as well. So don't know I'll why. stick with the black and white version. Yeah, you don't need it in color. You're fine. Scott, thank you so much again. And like I said, we're going to have you back on here down the line. I know at one point we're going to talk about a Disney film, and I'm excited about that one. We've got some other things in the works. And, of course, we're going to record at Monster Bash. Probably get about a month's worth of content at Monster Bash all at once. That's going to be great. Huge thanks to Scott Morris for appearing on Monster Kid Radio this past week. I mentioned it before. I'm going to mention it again. We are going to have him back on the show to talk about some other movies. We've got lots of plans, lots of plans. And if all of these plans play out, well, we're going to have plenty of content to get us through the next 102 episodes of Monster Kid Radio. Now, I don't think I'm going to have him back on the show again proper before Monster Bash. That is coming up here soon. I cannot wait. And like Scott said, if anybody is going to be attending Monster Bash, I would love to meet you. Drop us a line. He mentioned it. No, I'm going to mention it. Our contact information, monsterkidradio at gmail.com is our email address. Our voicemail line is 503-479-5MKR. That's 503-479-5657. Drop me a line. Let me know that you're going to be there. I'll look you up. And I'm hard to miss. I'm pretty sure I'm going to be the guy who looks like he's having the most fun in the room. I'll be wearing a Hawaiian shirt, and I'll have my recorder at hand. Monster Bash, here we come. Now, another way that you can get a hold of us is through Facebook. And I received a message from a horror host by the name of Lord Bloodraw. I'd like to read that now. Hi, Derek. A belated congrats on your 100th episode. Thanks for keeping the Monster Kid flag flying. Just wanted to comment on something I heard on episode 101. Your guest, Scott Morris, said there are no active horror hosts in Indiana. Not true! My show, Lord Blood Raw's Nerve Racking Theater, airs on my TV, Fort Wayne, every Saturday night at 11 p.m. In fact, the third season will begin with all new episodes in August. The first two seasons are running in repeats now. Though I'm not an Indiana native, I'm doing what I can to bring the geeky horror fun to the state. And yes, I've even hosted the giant Gila monster. Keep the monster mash moving and geek out. Lord Blood Raw. Now, I don't live in Indiana, but I can watch what Lord Blood Raw puts out on YouTube by going to his YouTube channel. There will be a link in the show notes to this. It's Lord Blood Raw's Nerve Racking Theater. It's YouTube.com slash user slash Lord Blood Raw. That's Lord and then Blood and then R-A-H at the end of it. Again, go over to MonsterKidRadio.net to find that. Follow the link to his YouTube channel and check out what he's got to offer. I've been a fan of Lord Blood Raw for years. He's appeared on another podcast in the past, and I loved what he did there, and I've been following him ever since. And this isn't the first time that Lord Blood Raw has actually said something to me. Last year at one point, our friend, Dr. Gain Green, appeared on the Creepy Castle radio show to talk about public domain films and that sort of thing. And I called in chatted a little bit and Lord Bloodrock called in as well and at one point he said you know he listens to the show he loves what I do and that was kind of cool I mean to have that kind of reaction from people that I respect from creators that I respect that's awesome thank you so much and speaking of the Creepy Castle last weekend I was on the Creepy Castle radio show I mentioned this in the last episode but in case you forgot go over to creepycastle.com that's creepy with a k castle with a k dot com to check out what they do all day, they stream horror-hosted movies. There's a chat room so you can chat it up with friends while you're watching these movies, streaming on your computer for free. You can also check out blogtalkradio.com slash Dale K, that's D-A-L-E-K-A-Y, to subscribe to Creepy Castle Radio in your iTunes or whatever other podcatcher you use if you don't listen to the show live. Again, links in the show notes to all of this as well. Before we're done talking about the giant Gila monster, Scott actually did a little bit of research for us. 
Remember in episode 101, I said I didn't know what the equivalent of what $19.59 was to 2014. He did the math and found a website that told him that the giant Gila monster's budget of $138,000 in 1959 is the equivalent of $860,152.55 U.S. dollars in 2014. And just for fun, I did the same math or used the same website to figure out the budget of Gila. In 2012, it was $900,000. In 2014, that would be about $929,420.13. So, you know, wasn't a heck of a lot more money spent on the remake than the original, if you do the math. And again, as Scott said, you can find Gila streaming as part of your Amazon Prime membership if you are a Prime user on Amazon. And the giant Gila monster, you can find it everywhere, public domain, archive.org. It's all over a number of Roku channels. And I've got it at least three times in my Mill Creek DVD collection. I want to thank everybody for listening to Monster Kid Radio this week. Next week, I've got a monster maker on the show. Mitch Gonzalez makes his triumphant return to Monster Kid Radio. We're going to talk about one of his favorite monster movies. And that would be 1964's Del Tenny classic, The Horror of Party Beach. Looking forward to that. It's going to be a treat. I've been wanting to have Mitch back on the show from almost the very beginning when I had him on the show with Christopher R. Mim, I think during our second week. So it's been a long time coming. He and Mim and the rest of the crew over at St. Euphoria Pictures just finished a movie, just released the late night double feature. This is the latest in Christopher R. Mim's series of retro films, retro monster movies. This is a combination of two movies mashed together, two shorts. One's called X, The Fiend from Beyond Space, and the other one's called The Wall People. And Mitch, if you're listening, your monster in X, The Fiend from Beyond Space, the best yet, my friend. The best yet. Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio, LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio, LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0, unported license. Of course, that does not apply to the song Gaza Surf. That belongs to the Beeritz Boys. It appears on their album, Enjoy the Hip, Slick, Ultraviolent, and Super Sexy Surf Sound of the Beeritz Boys. It also appears on this episode of Monster Kid Radio with their permission. You can find them over at thebeeritzboys.band camp.com or follow the link in the show notes talk to everybody next week